Chapter thirty five of Nobody's Man by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Gerard. Chapter thirty five. The great night came and passed with fewer thrills than anyone had imagined possible. Horlick himself undertook the defense of his once more bitterly assailed government, and from the first it was obvious what the end must be. He spoke with the resigned cynicism of one who knows that words are fruitless, that the die is already cast, and that his little froth of words, valedictory in their tone from the first, was only a tribute to exacting convention. Talent had never been more restrained, although his merciless logic reduced the issues upon which the vote was to be taken to the plainest and clearest elements. He remained studiously unemotional, and nothing which he said indicated in any way his personal interest in the sweeping away of the Horlock regime. He was the impersonal but scathing critic, paving the way for his chief. It was Dartrey himself who overshadowed everyone that night. He spoke so seldom in the House that many of the members had forgotten that he was an orator of rare quality. That night, he lifted the debate from the level of ordinary politics to the idyllic realms where alone the lasting good of the world is fashioned. He pointed out what government might and should be, taking almost a Roman view of the care of the citizen, his early and late education, his shouldering of the responsibilities which belong to one of a great community. From the individual he passed to the nation, sketching in a few nervous but brilliant phrases the exact possibilities of socialistic legislation and he wound up with a parodied epigram government he declared was philosophy teaching by failures in the end miller led fourteen of his once numerous followers into the government lobby to find himself by forty votes upon the losing side horlock found talent once more slipping quietly away from the house and bundled him into his car they drove off rapidly so it's buckinghamshire for me the former observed not without jubilation after all it has been rather a tame finale we were beaten before we opened our mouths even your new adherent talent said smiling could not save you horlock made a grimace you can have miller and his faithful fourteen he declared we don't want him the man was a little englander he has become a little laborite heaven knows where he'll end are you going to be prime minister talent i don't know was the quiet reply just for the moment i am weary of it all day after day fighting and scheming speaking and writing just to get you fellows out and now we've got you out well i don't know that we are going to do any better we've got the principles we've got some of the men but is this country ready for our program if you ask me i think the country's ready for anything in the way of a change horlock replied i am sure i am i have been prime minister before but i've never in my life had such an army of incompetence at the back of me take my tip talent don't you have a chancellor of the exchequer who refuses to take a bit off the income tax every year we shall abolish the income tax before long talent declared i shall invest my money in america horlock observed my savings that is where shall i put you down in chelsea if you would talent begged we are only just turning off the embankment 
I want to see Mrs. Dartrey. Horlock gave an order through the tube. I am going down to Belgrave Square, he said. Then I am going back to Downing Street for tonight. Tomorrow a dutiful journey to Buckingham Palace. Saturday, a long weekend. I shall take out a season ticket to Buckinghamshire now. You're not going to nationalize the railways, or are you, Talent? What about season tickets then? Nationalization is badly defined, Talent replied. The government will certainly aim at regulating the profits of all public companies and applying a portion of them to the reduction of taxation. Well, good luck to you, Carlock said heartily as the car pulled up outside Dartrey's little house. Here's just a word of advice from an old campaigner. You're going to tap the people's pockets. That's what you are going to do, Talent. And I tell you this, and you'll find it's the truth. Principles or no principles. Your own party or anyone else's. The moment you touch the pockets of any class of the community, from the aristocrat to the stonebreaker, they'll be up against you like a hurricane. Everyone in the world hugs their principles, but there isn't anyone who'd hold on to them if they found it was costing them money. So long, and the best of luck to you, talent. We may meet in high circles before long. Horlock drove away, a discomfited man, jubilant in his thoughts of freedom. Talent was met by Nora in the little hall. Nora, who had kept away from the house at Stephen's earnest request. Stephen has done it, Talent announced triumphantly. He made the only speech worth listening to. Horlock crumpled to pieces. Miller only got fourteen of the ragtail end of his lot to vote with him. We won by forty votes. Horlock brought me here. He is to have a formal meeting of the party. He'll offer his resignation on Thursday. It's wonderful, Nora exclaimed. Stephen will be sent for, Talent went on. That, of course, is a foregone conclusion. Nora, I wish you'd make him see that it's his duty to form a government. There isn't any reason why he should pass it on to me. I can lead in the Commons if he wants me to, so far as the debates are concerned. We are altering the procedure, as I dare say you know. Half the government of the country will be done by committees. It's no use, Nora replied. Stephen simply wouldn't do it. You must remember what you yourself said. Procedure will be altered. So much of the government of the country will be done outside the house. Stephen has everything mapped out. You are going to be prime minister. Talent left early and walked homeward by the least frequented ways. A soft rain was falling, but the night was warm and a misty moon made fitful appearances. The rain fell like little drops of silver around the lampposts. There was scarcely a breath of wind, and in Curzon Street the air was almost faint with the odor of spring bulbs from the window boxes. Talent yielded to an uncontrollable impulse. He walked rather abruptly up Charges Street past his rooms, and paid a curious little visit, almost a pilgrimage, to the closed house in Charles Street. It seemed to him that those drawn blinds, the dead-looking windows, the smokeless chimneys typified in melancholy fashion the empty chambers in his own heart. Weeks had passed now, and no word had come from Jane. He pictured her still smarting under the sting of his brutal words. Some of his phrases came back to his mind, and he shivered with remorse. If only he started. It seemed for a moment as though history were about to repeat itself. A great limousine had stolen up to the curbstone 
and a woman in evening dress was leaning out mr tallente she called out do come and speak to me please tallente approached at once in the dim light his heart gave a little throb he peered forward the woman laughed musically i do believe that you have forgotten me she said i am alice montgomery jane's sister i saw you there and i couldn't help stopping for a moment can i drop you anywhere thank you so much he answered my rooms are quite close by here on charges street get in please and i will take you there she ordered tell the man the number i want just one word with you the car started off lady alice looked at her companion and shook her head mr tallente she said i am very much a woman of the world and jane is a very much stronger person than i am in some things and a great baby in others you and she were such friends and i have an idea that there was a misunderstanding there was he groaned it was my fault never mind whose fault it was she went on you two were made for each other you have so much in common don't drift apart altogether just because one has expected too much or the other been content to give too little jane has a great soul and a great heart she wants to give but she doesn't quite know how and perhaps there isn't any way but two people whose lives seem to radiate towards each other as yours and hers shouldn't remain wholly apart take a day or two's holiday soon even from this great work of yours and go down to devonshire it would be very dangerous advice she went on smiling to a different sort of man but i have a fancy that to you it may mean something and i happen to know that jane is miserable the car stopped tallente held lady alice's hand as he had seldom held the hand of a woman in his life a curious incapacity for speech checked the words even upon his lips thank you he faltered End of chapter thirty five